Christine, um, it's been fantastic to hear what, what you're doing. You're a small team. Can you just give us a little bit of background on the three of you? How did you get into this? So we met uh, on social media just in a conversation about the welfare of our children and concern that that welfare wasn't being considered in the debate about schools reopening. My background is I teach children yoga, so I'm very um, well aware of how difficult it is for children not to get together and not to play. Um, I, I also have another hat in which I, I, I look at um, data. I'm a health economist. I look at data coming from um, studies on the risks and benefits of interventions. And it appeared to me that we were talking exclusively about the risk of this in intervention and we weren't talking about the damage that any of those these measures could you know, could do. The other two in the team are, uh, we have Liz, who's a marketeer, and we have Molly, who is a writer. Um, so we're a, quite a diverse team. We just felt that no one in a position that traditionally advocates for children is speaking out um, to question, you know, the, the proposed measures and whether these measures, um, you know, what the harm of these measures have actually been considered in this whole debate about school opening. So we, we really want the schools to reopen, but with sensible infection control um, and without the social distancing measures, which we believe will be harmful between children um, and damage to their well-being. But the, you've, you've been very clear about the hierarchy that's offered in the government guidance and, um, and actually social distancing is at the bottom of that list. Do you think in terms of people you've been talking to there is a possibility that they may consider it amongst the youngest children without social distancing, or do you think that's uh, a long way off at the moment? Well, we understand that children can't go back to school in the same way that they left, but we need to remember that the most important aspect in controlling the virus and preventing transmission is that children who are unwell stay away from school. And after that, there are some sensible hygiene precautions, such as washing your, your hands regularly, sneezing into a tissue or your elbow. And these can be taken along with the regular cleaning of the settings to prevent transmission. All of these measures can be adopted without any detrimental effect to the children. What do you think, um, social, obviously the area in which you are most at odds with where, say, the teachers' unions are at, is over social distancing and obviously one of the primary concerns there are for adult populations including those who are going to be more vulnerable um, what do you how, how are you managing that aspect of the risk well it's not clear how far the benefit from this last measure of minimizing contact between healthy children justifies the considerable harm that it will do Children, as we all are, are social beings and they need to play and they need to interact in order to develop. And what does it mean to be isolated into a group or a bubble? This means no team sports, no drama plays, no group work, no connection. And we do not believe that there should be any social distancing between children in schools. Children have already been negatively affected by the closure and the proposed measures for school reopening are going to further compound and extend that damage. The measures proposed are going to make it more difficult for children to readjust to coming back to school after an extended absence. 
And and obviously you're you're looking at this in relation to um, precedence as well. I mean, Christine, just tell us a little bit about your background because you are looking at the research as well, are you not? And have you, um, in your travels, discovered research that specifically talks about the particular long-term harms, perhaps developmental harms, um, mental health harms that may result from social distancing, particularly with the with the youngest kids. Yeah, I mean, we know that the risks for the virus, uh, you know, from the virus in children are, are thankfully very low. Uh, um, but the focus um, has been about the risks of the virus in school with no discussion about the risks of the social distancing itself. And, you know, th there are decades of research that show you cannot enforce social distancing in a fundamentally social species without serious negative consequences. We know from the research that the need for social support is greatest in the times of adverse situations and events such as this current pandemic. Children who are socially isolated tend to perform worse at school, suffer from more emotional and mental health issues, as well as being more likely to be obese and susceptible to addiction. Of course, vulnerable people who are at higher risk should be protected um, and should be shielded, but we should not be putting all children at risk of social, you know, impaired social development um, in order to reduce the spread of a disease that mainly causes direct harm to adults. Understood, um, um, and obviously we're we're with you 100% on this. Do you do you see the challenge being greater um, coming from government and the guidance from government? Because let's face it, the social distancing requirement is at the bottom of the hierarchy. Or in practice, are the challenges greater from teachers and the teachers' unions? We 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 realise that people are scared, and the focus has been on the parental reluctance to return children to school. But in fact, what we're being told is that people don't want to return their children to school, um, not because of uh, fear of the virus, but because of the fear of the measures. And I think parents um, are scared um, that they're not able to ac accurately assess the risk of their children and they're struggling to um, understand the relative risks of physical safety and psychological well-being that will occur as a result of these measures. The virus is only one of the risks that the children face, um, but our focus at the moment in, in the media is overshadowing the need to protect children's overall well-being. So that, that's a very interesting um, predicament. So parents, particularly, I guess, of very young children are saying we can do a better job at educating our kids in our home environment where we're not facing any social distancing as compared with handing them back to the schools. Now, that that's all very well and good when you have a significant part of the population that's still furloughed and not going back to work. Do you see that changing? And I guess that's, that's one of the drivers to try and sort this out. So as people, more and more people go back to work, there is actually a workable solution back in nurseries, primary schools and other schools. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're calling on, on the government to open the schools for all pupils um, without social distancing measures. So no bubbles, a normal interaction with sports, drama, regular playtime between children. Um, you know, the Royal College of Paediatricians and Child Health, in response to the school's reopening, said the concerns and voices of all concerned, including those of children and young people, 
should be heard respectfully. The discussion on risk cannot only be about the risks of COVID-19. We believe this discussion of risk must now also balance the risk to children of the harmful social distancing measures proposed. And, you know, in response to your, your question about um, some people staying off because it's safer at home, I think we're opening up a whole um, difficult, perhaps widening this, deepening this social inequity that we're seeing in terms of the provision of education that some children are getting at school from parents who are able to deliver it versus some children who are in situations where their parents are working and they're trying to juggle doing that job with you know, homeschooling. So I think we need to be very careful and consistent that children are all given access to the same provision of education. Well, that, look, I think that you, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. The social inequities piece is, is absolutely vital. There could be um, a, a noisy group of people who are um, fairly privileged in terms of the environments that they can look after. The kids are saying, look, they're better off at home. Um, could you give some, you know, have you got some examples of the kind of conditions that some children are currently facing um, when they're trying to manage homeschooling um, amongst the, 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 the young? Um, you know, have you got examples that, for example, as you, as you move to, to do more and more media, that people can sort of engage with the, the challenges that some people are facing in the current scenario? I, I think parents are under extreme pressure and they want to do the best for their children, but they're also balancing this with maybe concern that they have about the security of their own jobs and their ability to do those jobs from home in some cases. And as more and more workplaces are opening up, um, it's going to become increasingly more difficult for them to juggle um, looking after their children with actually, you know, going back to work. And people are being faced in impossible situations because some schools are only offering partial uh, openings, so maybe only two days a week for some of the year groups that have already been announced. Um, so where does that leave parents? Are they going to be able to work part-time? Are they going to be able to take parental leave? I think it opens up a whole lot of questions and actually the solution really is to get all children back to school and get them all back to learning and let them all try and um, recover from this experience in, in, the, in, a, in a healthy and supportive environment. Well, it, another angle on that, and it's something obviously we've been involved in for, for many years, is the, um, is the whole idea of uh, inequities developing because of uh, nutrition. Um, and obviously, this is a, a campaign that Jamie Oliver was, was at the forefront of, is mm -hmm. to say that if kids from um, less privileged backgrounds can at least have one decent meal at school, you actually um, reduce the social inequities in, in nutrition. Um, so that's uh, obviously there are very um, close relationship between nutritional status and your ability to, to learn and develop properly. Um, so that would be another reason to, to get kids um, back to school. Um, how important do you think the, um, the test, track and trace system is to be able to stay on top of any emerging infections in schools? And obviously there's been um, um, some considerable delays in terms of how the UK government have responded to, to that. Do you think that's a, a pretty integral part of doing this properly? 
I don't really have a position on it, to be honest with you. I, I just think that all the children need to go back to school as soon as possible. Um, and I think, you know, how we manage the, the, the tracking of the infection in, in adults is a separate issue and a, and a separate question that's kind of outside the scope of my experience. But I, you know, I, I just feel that the children need to be able to go back to school and be able to start resuming living a normal, healthy life and to try and minimise any further damage that we're going to, to put on them. Yes. Well, look, the the um, the additional element there from the experiences in the Scandinavian countries that have kept particularly primary schools and kindergartens open, they they have been running some fairly comprehensive test track and trace systems. Um, and the good news, and I think this is should be good news to try and build confidence amongst parents in particular, is that there are no cases. Yeah. of index cases of kids bringing infection back into the community, which I think a lot of people are concerned about. And I think this is because kids actually don't transmit the virus particularly well. They have a really powerful innate immune response, so it's harder yeah. for the virus to become embedded within their, their systems. Um, um, that, that's fantastic. Um, in terms of uh, the future and timing, obviously the government have indicated um, a 1st of June deadline, which seems to be a movable deadline. Where do you think we are in a kind of best and a worst case scenario for schools? They're also talking about staged opening, kindergarten, primary. Um, talk, talk us through you know, what you'd like to see and, and what might be the the least, the, the worst outcomes in terms of timing? I, I you know, I think we're, we're calling on the government to be much more directive in this um, guidance about opening schools, to not include any of the social distancing measures that are, are very low down the hierarchy because of the uncertainty about any incremental benefit that they give over and above the four hygiene measures. And I think that we also want the government to open up the schools for all the pupils so that they can all go back to school with these sensible measures in place, but without measures that are actually going to cause further damage to them. The idea that we're going to put children in separate small groups is very concerning, I think, in lots of schools that we're actually promoting perhaps the development of sort of a gang kind of mentality with those children. And we're, we don't want to see that happening. And do you think, in principle, it was a mistake to close schools in the first place? Well, you, you know, a hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I think that, you know, they were very clear that they weren't going to close schools and then they did. I think we can look at other countries who didn't, um, who didn't close schools and perhaps learn from that experience in the future um, in terms of actually what the, the benefits and what the harms are. But I think that what we have to do and what we do have to learn from this is to balance the risks of any virus or any infection with obviously the harm that can be done from the measures that are being imposed to control that. And for me, I haven't seen um, that discussion being considered um, in this debate. And I, and I really would like to urge people to actually start to ask the question about what risk assessment have been conducted that actually outline the damage of some of these measures because some of them are I believe contravene some of the safeguarding practices that schools have employed for years so I think the government's putting them in quite a difficult position. And I think that the point that that um, your organisation and our organisation has made that the 
the scientific guidance really should come from the group of doctors that have the greatest experience in, in child health and yeah. pediatrics. So the Royal yeah. College of Pediatrics and absolutely. Child Health views are, are absolutely key and it seems they haven't um, been adequately taken into account. Um, if there's one thing that you'd like the government to do as a matter of priority um, in relation to your campaign, what, what do you think that is? It's to drop that fish fifth measure from their guidance to drop the the um, you know requirement or the um, the advice that children should be separated and not mix with each other. That's not healthy. That's not good for the children, and that needs to come out of the guidance so schools can go back to being a normal environment for, for children to mix and learn and play in. And just to be clear on that, do you see that all the way through to secondary schools or just up to primary? We see that from the early years learning all the way up to secondary schools. Yeah, that's great. Um, and finally, Christine, um, really important that people get behind. You've got a you've got a petition on your website. Um, how do people get involved? What do you need them to do? Presumably, you, that they need to communicate with their parliamentarians. Um, can you just talk us through that? Yeah, so please go to our website, which is www.usforthem.co.uk and sign the petition to, to stand up for your child and protect their future in development. On our website, we've got templates of letters you can send to your MP. We've got templates of letters you can send to your head teacher, asking them about the risk assessment and asking them about these measures that they're going to employ that will directly affect your child. We're a small team, as I said at the beginning, and so we're looking for anyone else who can help, especially with campaigning, PR, expertise in educational psychology, to help us highlight that social distancing in schools is not okay.